There once was a soldier who loved his life. You could find a soldier like this anywhere in any battle or conflict. He enjoyed a good risk, a good drink, and a good wager. His game of choice was pharaoh, and he determined to spend his free time getting every advantage he could. This soldier was in the Revolutionary War, but it doesn't matter what country he fought for. What matters is the day he found himself injured, spilling blood on the dirt, separated from his company. Fearing discovery from the enemy, he decided to take shelter in the only shelter he could see, a small, deep cleft in the nearby foothills. His footfalls echoed off the damp walls of the cave, which was deeper than he imagined. Thinking himself alone, he wanted to see around him, so he fished out a candle from his rucksack and set it alight. The next moment, he almost dropped the candle in shock, because right there, staring him eye to eye, was death. The soldier was bold, but loved his life. And upon seeing death, his heart melted in his chest, and his knees threatened to buckle. But from our vantage point, we can see that death didn't seem too eager to attack. He was calmly seated, in fact, behind the table, quite comfortable. After a moment, the soldier composed himself and said, Please, I don't want to die. I'll do anything. So death smiled and offered him a wager. Let's play a game, he said. Your choice of game, and if you beat me at the game, you will never die. Relief coursed through the soldier's veins, and when he requested his favorite game, Pharaoh, death agreed and the cards and chips magically appeared on the table. They got down to it. Now, no one knows if it was a really close game, but the soldier would have testified it was too close. In a masterful, nail-biting series of bluffs and underhanded moves, the soldier triumphed. He held his breath, waiting to see if death would admit defeat or call him out on his tricks. But death sighed with relief and said, you've won. Then, in an instant, their places were reversed. Death looked immediate and human and vibrant, while the soldier, now behind the table, felt empty his cloak and sickle weighing him down. He no longer felt his injury, but he no longer felt anything. He realized too late what the trick had been and what had happened. He was shackled to this cave until such a time as he could get someone else to take his place. He panicked, demanding, but you said if I won, I would live. No, I didn't. When the expert in the law asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm sure he didn't know what he was in for. We never do when we encounter Jesus, do we? I believe that this expert thought he was almost all the way there. Otherwise, why would he have devoted so much of his life to the law? He was pretty sure he was on the right track, but he just needed Jesus to help him across the finish line. He wanted a tip to add to his agenda. He wanted something to improve his life. He was looking for a nugget of wisdom or maybe even affirmation that he was all set. You're good to go. The poor guy was almost certainly not looking for Jesus to turn his whole world upside down, inside out. But instead of ten tips for living your best you, Jesus tells a story. 
a ridiculous, scandalous story about the good guys being bad guys and the bad guy saving the day. It's upsetting then and now. This story makes no sense if we're trying to tick the boxes to get into heaven. Nowhere in the story does the Samaritan convert to the correct denomination or join up with the right religion. Nowhere does he list his doctrinal beliefs so that we know he's one of the good ones. This story makes no sense through our current lenses. So let's put on new lenses for a moment. What if the expert of the law is too obsessed with escaping death? What if he sees eternal life as a reward at the very end, a passing grade and a release for a job well done? And what if it's that very viewpoint that robs him of life itself? Look at the priest and the Levite. Their theology may be perfect. Their membership's current, their work important. And yet, the most important life-giving thing they had to do that day is ruined by the half-lives that they live. God longs to work through them. God sends them opportunities, and they decline, passing to the other side of the road. Some say they may have been worried about a trap and further brigands to attack. Some say they were afraid of touching a dead body. And some say they had important things to do. But whatever the case, in this story, they miss out on life. They stay on their path at all costs, and their worldview gets smaller and smaller until their identity is defined by who they close themselves off to and why. In other words, they're alive, but they're not living. Now look at the Samaritan, an outsider from a weird sect. But God wants to work through him. God sends him an opportunity. And the Samaritan is filled with the breath of life. In fact, the Samaritan is so full of life that he can't help but share it. He realizes the injured man could die, and so the Samaritan shares life, gives generously, and lives abundantly. This story makes no sense if we think of Christianity as how to get to heaven when we die. But this story is everything if we realize that Jesus wants us to live. Yes, Jesus does want us to live eternally. Yes, after we die. But also now, today, with the opportunities that God has given us. C.S. Lewis wrote that Christianity simply takes the idea of immortality seriously. If we're closed off, suspicious, exclusive, trying to get a good grade, constantly judging and sorting people, what kind of life is that for eternity? More than that, if we live that way, after a thousand years, a million, what would we become like? I don't even want to think about it. The gospel of Jesus is scandalous, in part because the world doesn't understand us, but also because of who it invites in. The person you or I think should be out is out there somewhere and sees an opportunity for mercy, and God invites them in. God wants to work through them. Whether or not they're in the kingdom does not depend on our judgment, but on who has invited them in.
Look at the New Testament, the scandal of who is invited in. If you have a pen and have your bulletin, write these in your bulletin notes because the stories are so many, I can't go into them all here. But the New Testament has the stories of the Ethiopian eunuch, Onesimus, Paul, of course, Lydia. For that matter, look at the Old Testament, Hagar and Rahab, Uriah and Ruth, story after story of people scandalously being invited in. God has always been like this, inviting the riffraff to come and join his work. God has always expanded our definition of life and family and belonging. And as mostly Gentiles in this room, we're glad for that, right? In the early church, there were many powerful people who wanted to lock us out, but God wanted us in. The scandal of invitation and mercy. On the other hand, that's not the natural human tendency. Our Christian circles seem to get smaller and smaller. In 1054 AD, the Western Roman Catholic Church split from the Eastern Orthodox Church. They were previously one church, and then they busted apart. Pop quiz. Does anyone know why that happened? Put your hand down, Chandler. Put your hand down, Chris. (laughs) Okay, it hardly seems to matter now. Only a couple of us know, but it doesn't matter because today we have our own hills to die on and our own non-negotiables and our own reasons to cut each other off. The church has been narrowing and narrowing and narrowing for a thousand years since that split. Our natural tendency is to close off, to tell God what's allowed and what's possible, to put everything, including the Lord God, in a box to make sure that we keep the outside out like an airtight container, so afraid of death that we even shut out the needy, so afraid of death that we even shut out some who want to do God's will. So we ask Jesus for the technicals. We ask him for the technical rules so that we know where the lines are and how to keep ourselves safe. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, here's how to avoid death and live smaller. He says, love your neighbor, whoever they are. Love mercy, whoever you are. Bind up wounds wherever you find them. Open up, breathe, and see who God has invited in. And we rejoice that God's imagination and grace are greater than ours. Amen. So, there was once an expert in the law who loved her own life. She found herself anxious that she wasn't holding on to it tightly enough, that she wasn't getting everything exactly right. But fortunately, she found Jesus. So she asked him, how can you help me so I never die? Jesus said, follow God's law of love and you will live. Then Jesus told her a story, showed her a world of mercy and compassion and love. Jesus invited her to live in that love, eternal life beginning now. Through the years, Jesus urged her to open her eyes to what God was doing in the world. 
He showed her a kingdom of justice and shalom, only a heartbeat away. Jesus showed her how to live. I was, the expert in the law was a little confused. But you said if I did what you say, I wouldn't die. Jesus said, no, I didn't. Let's pray.